Good morning. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the ways that it speaks to us personally, that it speaks to us in the present tense, that it speaks to our hearts and our souls in ways that are beyond our description. We thank you for the way that your word shapes the songs that we sing, shapes the words that we ourselves speak to one another. And God, as we continue to focus on your word together, and as we consider what it means to be people of your word who also gather around your table, we ask that you would help us to draw closer to you, to have our our imaginations, the eyes of our hearts, open to what it is you can see, not only in us and for us, but the future that you can see for this world. And we ask that you would help us to fall in love with your vision, with, with your dream for what this world can be through your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've mentioned before uh, that my dad is a preacher, uh, and what that meant for our family to some degree, was uh, that we, we really didn't have much of an opportunity to spend all of my growing up years at the same church, with the same church family. Now, now we didn't move as much as some preachers used to move. It seemed like back in the day, preachers would spend about 18 to 24 months at a church before they packed up and moved on to another place. I guess that kind of meant you only needed to have two years worth of sermons that you could keep revising, but uh, that, that wasn't really my experience. We, we stayed longer than that, but, but we ended up being together at four different churches uh, as I was growing up before I went to college, and I can remember each one of those congregations very clearly. I, I can remember the way uh, each one of those buildings looked. I can remember what it was like to sit in each one of those auditoriums. I, I even remember the, the puppet shows that I watched in children's worship. I can see in my mind's eye the, the youth group room that I, I got to be a part of that group and sit in that room together. We had all these bright posters and a ping pong table off to the side. I remember how excited I was to study God's word in that place together with my friends I remember the painting on the baptistry when I was 13 years old and I decided to give my life to Christ. I remember what it felt like to walk outside of, of that doorway of one particular congregation when I was finally getting ready uh, to leave and, and come here to ACU over a thousand miles away from where I had grown up in Northern California. I remember all of that. But as I think about those four congregations, you know, as much as it's nice in your mind's eye to be able to go back to those places and those times, it's really not the, the buildings themselves or the rooms or the posters or any of that. It's, it's all the names and the faces that come to the surface of my heart, right? People who still have a, a home in, in my soul, even though I haven't seen them in... And who knows how long? You know, I can, I can see a, a lady named Penny, who was just a little old, older than my own parents at that time, but who would always invite us over. She happened to live in our neighborhood, in, in the town where we were 
were ministering and going to church, and she would invite us over, and she had all of these toys that she had kept from raising her own children. And every time we came through the doorway of her house, I remember the warmth of her smile that always made me feel welcome. Even if I'd been getting on my mom's nerves or I'd been driving my sisters crazy, I knew I could go down to Miss Penny's house and she would welcome me there and she always had milk and cookies ready. Uh, and she was somebody who was like a spiritual grandmother to me. I remember a guy named Bill who, who was about Penny's age and he was a, a pretty serious guy. You know, he didn't, he didn't joke around much, he didn't, he didn't cut loose much, but he, he always would find a way, if we passed each other in the church building, immediately he would start to grin, and he would either punch me softly on the shoulder, or he'd reach out, and by the way, I, don't, I didn't like this then, and I d- definitely don't like it now, so don't do it to me, but he would ruffle my hair and mess it up when we'd pass, pass each other at the church, and even though I didn't like the feeling of it, I knew he was just trying to make me know that he appreciated me being there. And it made me want to see him at church. I, I remember a man named Ron Abel, who I've mentioned Ron before, came to me on his own and, and said that he wanted to help me as I was getting ready to preach my first sermon. And so he sat in an empty auditorium every Tuesday night for six months while I practiced preaching the same sermon about Daniel over and over and over again. Uh, and every time, Ron acted like it was the first time that he'd ever heard it before. Um, I remember uh, people in my life like that who through the years changed church for me from a place we just went to a spiritual family. There was a a lady who worked with my dad named Joyce, Joyce Broderick, and uh, she insisted that me and my sisters call her Grandma Joyce. And and the way she proved that she was our, our spiritual grandmother was she had learned, she'd memorized our favorite candies. And it was kind of a game on Sunday morning for her to figure out how to get us those candies with my mother not finding out. Uh, and, and so we, we all have those kinds of people who we hold in our hearts, who, who again, change church from just some sort of institution that we might feel like we, we attend or, or maybe that we, we show up at. But it becomes a place where friends can be, become family, and not just by choice, or at least not just by our choice, but because Christ has chosen each one of us. I want you to think for just a moment of the names and the faces that really make church, church for you. That change it from just a place to a family. A family where you know that that you can belong. That you're always welcome. That somebody's always glad to see you here. You know, I, I think about all of those people, and it's not just people who who happened to make church good for me, a good experience for me when I was growing up, when my dad was a preacher. I think of of names and faces of people for all the the churches that I've had the honor of serving as the preacher. People who understood as as much as they possibly could uh, that that no matter how hard you, you try to preach, faithfully and you try to to do the best job you possibly can there's always a part of me that feels like it's falling short there's always a part of me that thinks if I just said this or if, or if I just had this conversation with this person or if I just it, it never can be perfect but that's not that's not what any of us are here for and yet we need people all of us I need people to remind me that church is not the place where we we try to be perfect where we pretend to have it all together but it's the place where we confess 
that we need God's help and presence in our lives and that we have this hope that, that we can actually be that presence in one another's lives. Who are those people for you? Who, who can change church from a place you go to a family where you belong? For the past two months, we've been engaged in a, a careful study of Paul's letter to the ancient Christians who, who lived in this city of Colossae. And as we've studied together, we have, we've covered a lot of theological ground over the last nine weeks. Uh, we've, we've talked over and over again because Paul is really focused in his letter to the Colossian Christians on the supremacy of Christ. That Christ is really supposed to be our all in all. And when it comes to our hearts, when it comes to our devotion, when it comes to what we'd have to say, we really, we really worship where we place the most trust that we have. Paul keeps saying, look, that's got to be Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if you end up trying to, to hedge your, your existential bet by saying, well, you're going to believe in Jesus, but you're going to believe in other things as well because you're not so sure that Jesus can or will give you the life you really want. Paul says, if you're still that divided in your heart and your spirit, then you don't really love Christ the way Christ longs for you to. It has to be Jesus and Jesus alone. He helped us deepen our sense of, of not just our commitment to Christ, but to this reality that grace, it wants to, to do more than just save us from our sins. It also, at a deeper level in some ways, wants to save us from ourselves. And the fact that even though we mean well, and even though we've made a commitment to follow Christ, so many of us in this room, and some of us maybe are still considering that commitment, he wants to warn us that even after that moment of giving ourselves to the way of Jesus, we're going to have times where we unknowingly slip back into being people who who make selfish decisions, chase after things that, that God really doesn't want for us. Maybe we chase after things that end up hurting people that we care about because we just have longings and desires for things that are destructive to us and other people. And Paul says we've got to have the courage and the honesty to admit that even on the journey of faith, even in this experience of grace that's supposed to change us and transform us, we have setbacks. And what grace means is we should have the courage to admit when we've had a setback, when we've lost our way, and to believe that even in the midst of us losing our way, Christ never leaves, leaves us. Christ never loses his ability to hold on to us, even when we don't know it, even when we don't sense it. Just last week... We focused on Paul's words to us, reminding us that, that as we're trying to continue to keep our commitments and to, and to follow in the way of Jesus, that we have all of these open door moments surrounding us, that we have people around us who don't yet know the love and the presence of Christ, and they need us to have the courage to be the bridge, to be the, the connection that they might have with Jesus. I mean, you've heard it before. Preachers have said this for a long time. You, you may be the only form of the gospel that anybody else gets to hear. Your life. Right? We know that. Yet it's hard for us to have that kind of spiritual focus day in, day out. Especially in moments of frustration. In moments where we, we're not sure what to do next or say next. And yet, God places people in our lives. And he encourages us to believe that we really might be the very best person to open up that door, to step through it, 
and help them understand that Christ loves them more than they can possibly imagine and that we love them because he's asked us to, because he's taught us how to. And now we're going to read the the very last words that Paul writes in uh, his letter to the Colossians. And usually, you know, when I'm getting ready to, to map out a series, this is the part of a letter I just don't cover. The very end of, of a letter. There's going to be lots of names and faces here. And I promise you, as you open up your Bible, go ahead to turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start reading together in verse 7. It's going to take a little more focus than normal to, to follow through on this reading. Because your mind's going to start to wander. Because we don't know these names and these faces the way Paul does. But I want us to take just a few moments after we read it to ask ourselves, why is it important for these kinds of words to remain in Scripture? So Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They'll tell you everything that's happening here. Okay, you still with me? Names and faces, right? My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. You still with me? Okay. Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor who writes the Gospel of Luke. And Demas, send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul... Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, now I'll admit, it's pretty rare uh, to hear a sermon over this kind of, of section. I mean, these, these kinds of, of parts of scripture, they feel a lot to me like trying to make it through a genealogy. Right? You just start glazing over. Because... The names sometimes are difficult to pronounce even in your mind, and you, you may or may not have heard of these people before, and either way, they've been dead a long, long time, right? And so you just have a hard time connecting. I, I had a, a, an experience this week studying this section of feeling like I was stuck in a 2,000-year-old group text I couldn't get out of. <laughs> you couldn't leave the conversation. Uh, but that's, that's not at all what's happening here, right? We need to think through The same Apostle Paul is going to say all Scripture is inspired and God-breathed and useful. 
right? So what is it that we have kind of these greetings at the very end of a letter? Why is it important for us to have these words all these years later? And the reason is that Paul is always doing more than we notice at first, at first, it's just a bunch of names and details. I get that. But what he's, he's really doing, what's really going on here, is the Apostle Paul is taking the time to shine his, his Holy Spirit-inspired spotlight on some people that he wants us to see. And not just to see, but, but to learn from. Right? He's drawing attention to people who help us better understand what kind of community the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be. The first thing you need to realize is, the church isn't ever just a crowd of people. It's names and faces. It's you and it's me. Right? It's individual people who've gathered together because Jesus has called us together. That's it. That's the only reason we're all in this room together. There, there's nothing else we have in common that matters anywhere near as much as the faith we share in Jesus. Right? He may call us as individuals, but he always calls us into this faith family. To know each other and to be known by name. Right. So let's, let's look at some of these names Briefly, And you're going to notice that we're, we're going to look at four names, and, and they're going to have four themes that go along with them that Paul wants us to see, and they echo the four readings and the four songs that we just sang together a few moments ago. The first is Tychicus. Paul obviously mentions Tychicus when you read the section that, that has to do with his name, because church is the community where we offer encouragement that gives real hope to others. And one of the things you're going to notice in all of these is that it has to do with, with something that somebody at church is able to do or be for the sake of other people. Right? I don't ever come to church completely for myself. I mean, even if I'm in a, a stretch of my life where I, I really, I, I need help, I need the, the church family surrounding me to hold me up. Even then, I'm not only coming for myself, I'm coming for the sake of other people as well. Right? And, and Tychicus, he says, I'm sending him to you for the express purpose of sharing the story of what's going on in our lives and to give you encouragement in your hearts. Church should be a place where we're looking, each one of us, we're looking for the opportunity Every time we gather together, who is it that God has sent you here to encourage? I don't mean just say some quick greeting in the hallway. I mean truly speak words into their life that they desperately need to hear to keep going. You know, I mentioned my dad's a preacher. Uh, one of the things my dad always says to me is, Son, if, if you don't have something in every sermon that would give a hopeless person some hope. That's a bad sermon. Right? So how is it that each one of us can speak that way? Can speak life and hope into one another? And who is it in this place who's done that for you? I want you to, to think about that for a moment. Okay, the next name, Epaphras. Don't worry, we're not covering all the names, just four. Okay? Paul mentions Epaphras because church is a community where we wrestle in prayer for others to develop a deeper faith. 
He talks about Epaphras wrestling in prayer so, so that the church there in Colossae, that, that the members there can, can become fully mature in Christ. Right? That's not something that, that you just say every once in a while to God on somebody else's behalf. The image of wrestling in prayer to me echoes the image I have in my heart of Jesus in the garden. Right? It's not just kind of a polite dialogue with God about somebody else saying, you know, God, I want you to remember Donnie Carroll and, and I'd like you to do whatever it is you want to do for Donnie. That's, that's not the kind of prayer that Epaphras is offering for the church, for the individual members in Colossae. He's wrestling in prayer. He has some kind of future in mind for them, and that future's been threatened. And so he prays with all of his spirit, with all of his heart, begging God. It's almost like Jacob wrestling on that riverbank with God. And Jacob in that story in Genesis, he's wrestling with God to try to get his own blessing. But we wrestle with God to pray for the blessing of our brothers and sisters here at Southern Hills. Or maybe it's another church halfway across the world that used to be your spiritual family. And you've heard about somebody who's, who's struggling or needs help and you wrestle in prayer for them. Who has wrestled in prayer for you? Who's your Epaphras? I want you to think about that for just a moment. The third name I want us to, to think about, Nympha. Paul mentions the, the house church that she hosts. And he does that because church is the community where we lead others through our example of generous hospitality. Think about all that was involved in hosting an early Christian community in your home. You know, the, the first thing is you had to have a large enough home to do that. You had to decide that God had given you that spacious home, not just to enjoy it for yourself, but as a place that become, could become a sacred space of worship for your fellow brothers and sisters. That We know, uh, as, as church was first developing, that while there might have been a handful in every congregation of influential, wealthy people, the vast majority of church members in the first century were not, were not from the top of society. Right? They were slaves and, and people uh, of, of struggling with, with making it every single day. So those are the kinds of folks that you're inviting into your home. right? And so you're, you're running the risk of them not... not behaving in all the ways that you might have wanted, especially if your home was filled with expensive decorative things and you might have to worry about you know, someone knocking something over. And so she's gone through all of that decision-making to say, I don't care about any of those things. I want to welcome the church into my home. And then think about the fact that over time, the, the Roman Empire starts to notice more and more of these little Christian churches popping up and they start to feel threatened by it. So then they start to turn up the heat of persecution on those churches. Guess what's going to happen to you if you're somebody who's made the decision to host a church in your home? The kind of risk you're running. right? So she's not just pushed through whatever kinds of awkwardness or, or social difficulty that we might have to push through to say, I'm going to host 30 or 40 people in my home Every time the church comes together, I'm going to be the one who hosts them. She's also having to have the courage of what happens if the authorities want to know why is it that these people are meeting in your home and what is it all about. She's going to be the one who has to answer that. You know, when I first moved from Northern California here to Abilene to go to school, I couldn't believe how much strangers wanted to talk to me. 
and everybody was talking to me. And growing up in California, I wasn't used to talking to people I didn't know, you know, other than the, the, the basics. And I remember talking to my mom on the phone. She said, oh, yeah, that's, that's southern hospitality. That's what that is. And I said, well, I think it's kind of weird. <laughs> no, it makes you feel at home, right? I mean, it was different, but it was great. Uh, and and I, I think at, at some level we kind of, we know that experience, but, but I want you to know that I think that kind of hospitality of having space in our life and a welcome in our life, I think it's a lost art in our world. And I think we've got to be the people who model generous hospitality, who create space, not just in our homes, but in our lives for other people. Okay, finally, Archippus. Paul mentions Archippus because church is the community where we speak words that lovingly challenge others to keep going. How would you feel if you were Archippus when he says to the whole church, I want all of you to tell Archippus, you, you, you keep that commitment. You, you stay faithful to the work that God has started in you. Don't give up. Right? I mean, in one way, Paul is telling Archippus that when this letter is going to be read in the presence of the whole church. But in another way, he must know that Archippus doesn't just need those words from a letter from somebody who's, who's a long ways away. He needs it from the people who live with him day in, day out to say, whatever special task it is that God's given you, stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't expect that because God's called you to do something, it's all going to be smooth sailing. No, it's going to be difficult. Persevere the way that Jesus persevered. Okay, so I want, I'm going to ask us to, to kind of look at all four of these on, on a slide here. Offer encouragement that gives real hope. Wrestle in prayer for others to develop a deeper faith. Lead others through generous hospitality and speak words that encourage other people to keep going. I'm going to ask those of you uh, who are going to be serving communion this morning, if you would go ahead and, and start to prepare uh, to pass that meal to us in just a moment. This is what church is supposed to be. This is who we're supposed to be for one another. And as we are going to gather around the Lord's table here in just a moment, I want you to do what Paul did here at the end of Colossians. I want you to think about specific names and faces. The people who have lived this way for you. Now, who is it in your life, in, in church, who you know will be a faithful source of encouragement to you? Who is it in, in church who you know has been a prayer warrior for you? Who's somebody who always has time for you? Who always rearranges their schedule if, if you want to have a meal or you want to spend an evening together? They find a way to make that happen. And who's somebody in this place who when they could tell that you were about to give up and maybe walk away from something that God has called you to do, they found a way to speak strength back into your soul. Because I want you to carry at least four people, right? At least four names and faces with you to the table this morning. I want you to bring a community with you to the table this morning. Because we are gifts that God gives to one another. You are a gift. People have been gifts to you. And we come to this table, not just with expectations, but we come to this table with thanksgiving. 
for all of the people God has placed in our lives to be church to us. So I'm going to pray in a moment, but as you take this bread, I want you to think of these names and faces for you. Who is it who Christ has been able to use to be church in your life when you needed it most? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the ways that you give us to one another. And I pray that you would use this time of reflection as we're gathered around your table for us to bring the names and the faces of the people who make us feel your nearness and your blessing in our lives. God, too often we are tempted to think of the ways that church can be a challenge. We're tempted to think of the, the ways that church can be difficult. We're tempted to, to focus on the ways church isn't exactly what we want it to be. We focus on the fact that church isn't perfect. But God, church is always personal. There's always someone here. And we're thankful for that, that we need to express our thanks for to you. And so, God, please help us do this as we, as we take this bread that reminds us that we all belong to one body. Help us to think of names and faces that remind us of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. It's a simple phrase. He just reminds the church in Colossae that these men are one of them, right? He says, he, he's one of you. And, and we don't know exactly the full story there of why Paul is reminding the church that these two men are one of them. One of the options, though, is that at least in one of these cases, and what little we know about Onesimus could mean, uh, that there's someone in that church that's tempted to say Onesimus especially isn't one of them anymore. And, and one of the difficulties in church is we have times where the, the cords of fellowship that Christ has placed us in, lovingly placed us in, get strained at times to the point where we might want to say, oh, no, 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 that's not one of us. And Paul reminds us this morning as we, as we gather as a church family and around the table of the Lord especially, that it's really not our decision, right, that when, when Christ calls us into relationship, it's, it's not just that we belong with one another, but we belong to one another. And it's because Christ says we belong. And our job isn't to try to figure out exactly who is and isn't supposed to be on the church invite list. Our, our job is to focus on how do we become living expressions of the fact that grace means no matter what, you belong here, and I belong to you. You belong to me. It's that kind of spiritually intimate relationship. And the, only, the only expression we have of that in our, in our world is family. Right? Families where you don't, just, you don't just belong there. You belong to one another. So I, I, in your heart, I want you to think of someone as we, as we take the cup here. I want you to think of someone for you. I mean, it's easy to say, you know what, we belong to each other. And be thankful for that. But then I want you to do the harder work. And I can't make you do this. But I want to ask you to do this. Do the harder work of thinking someone in a church family, in this church family, that strains the bonds of fellowship for you. And choose again to believe that if Jesus says we belong to each other, we do.
no matter what. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this family you've placed us in. We thank you for the fact that you became one of us. And that means that we don't just belong with one another, but we belong to one another. And I pray that you would continue to do the, the hard work, but the beautiful work of helping us understand what grace means, not just for us, but what, what grace has to mean through us. God, we pray that you would help us to really live the ministry of reconciliation. Help us to be one as you make us one. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The obvious dynamics of the early church, and especially when you read these final words that, that Paul writes in letters, is that the church isn't just there. It's got a mission. That people are hard at work in helping more and more people experience the kingdom of God. That, that Paul talks about how hard people work and how much they give of themselves and their resources to help fulfill that mission. And, and it's a reminder that one of the, the main reasons we gather together as a people, in addition to our worship, is to be able to do something together that, that none of us on our own would be able to do. So we, we pull our resources that God has given us to fuel the mission that God has given us. It's really simple in terms of being a concept. It's a lot more complicated when it comes to exactly what we're going to do in the wrestling match, not only in prayer, but the wrestling match often in our hearts of how do we make a decision about the kinds of resources we've been blessed with and how we're going to allocate those resources as families, and as individuals, we come together as, as a church, how are we going to find a way to pull all of those resources together to do something far greater than you or I could do on our own? And I would say the most important thing is, is that when we first have the experience of deciding I might want to hold back, we push past that. Push farther. Right? Put, push Harder, find a way to go past the moment where you first start to experience the burn of, oh, this feels like I might be too generous. You can't be too generous, right? You, you can't have a place where you decide, look, I, I don't have to think about this anymore. Every single time we come together, we have an opportunity to be more, to give more to the mission of God. And when we hold back, we limit, not God's mission, we limit our ability to be a part of God's mission the way God wants us to be. And why would we hold ourselves back from that? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the example of your, your son who gives everything to save this world and who then invites us to give everything we possibly can to help save this world. And God, I know we all have lots of, of bills. I, I know that we've got lots of of things that, that we feel are good, that we can give towards. I, I understand that it's a complex decision for every person and every family, but I also know that it is a simple request from you that we would find a way to push past the moments where we decide enough is enough. We find courage and we find the strength to give more so that more and more people can encounter your goodness and your grace. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So in just a moment, we're, we're going to sing together again, and our, our shepherds and their wives will be out in our lobby. They're there 
to receive you, to pray with you, uh, to remind us that we're in a place here where we're supposed to speak to one another face to face, to know each other, not just our names, but, but the stories of our lives. And so if you came this morning and you want to talk to one of our, our leading couples here at church, the, the people that we have, have asked to shepherd us, I want to encourage you as we sing this next song to go into our lobby and spend some time talking with them and praying with them. Now after that song, uh, we're going to have an opportunity to, to focus on three different aspects of our church life together. Uh, all of them involve people and stories and faces and names. And I think at the end of a church service, it's easy to start checking out and making sure you've got all your stuff. And I, I want to beg you, stay engaged as we have this moment together as church because it's why we come together in this place. Um, and so in just a few moments, as those words of blessing are spoken over various people in our church, be a part of those words being spoken. Uh, be present. Okay, let's go ahead now and stand and sing together. Come thou.